Hi. Uh, I'm glad that you're here. Um, I'm excited about where this um, has landed us. I was, as we've been looking at uh, the life and the ministry of Jesus, what it means for us, what it means for our church um, to be part of that. And here is where the story starts to, get, it starts to turn, right? It starts to get a little, uh, a little more intense. And so I just want us to be okay with that, that place for a little bit today because we're going we're gonna to hang out there. Uh, but before we begin, let, let me just pray before we, we start this today. Uh, God, we just do, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house of worship, to gather together as a priesthood of believers, of people that they don't have all the right answers. And we, like the disciples, find ourselves often confused. Um, confused about what it means to be a follower of Jesus sometimes. If, if confused because sometimes we read your word and we think it's really, really clear. And then other times we read your word and it seems just really unclear and maybe frustrating. Or two people can read your same word and come away with different things. And it drives us crazy because we are often confused. But we know that um, that is a mystery that we don't have to have figured out. That we can put our faith and our trust and our hope in you as we begin to figure it out, as we let it unfold. Um, and that we will have things made clear to us when we get to you in heaven. And before that, I, I believe that you just are a, are a proud father when you see us struggle with your word, when you see us gather in worship and to dig into your word. Um, and I'm grateful and will continue to be humbled that you, um, you use me to do that. And so I just pray that, that anything that I've got, any agenda that I might have, spoken or unspoken, will, will leave and that it will just be all about you and your word to us. Help it to penetrate to our heart and affect the way that we live. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. So I need you to do me a favor today and just think of your favorite book. For those of you that don't read, they're like, I can't remember the last book I read. No judgment, at least not out loud. And, uh, or your favorite movie, right? Like what makes a good story? Um, I love to read. I don't have the time to read as often as I used to. But I, I'm, I'm part of this, I was part of this book club for a while. I'm going back to another book club with my friend Jen and her former Baptist ladies, recovering Baptists, I think, is what the book club is called. And, uh, and anyway, so we talk about a story, right, and what makes a good story or, or what makes a, a movie that you're like, that was so good. I need to keep reading. I need to keep watching. What are some of those elements that make that story so, so, so good to you? And it's got to be it's got to be one of those things that keeps you guessing. You don't want to necessarily know what's going to happen next. There's got to be some kind of conflict in a story because nobody ever invites you or you go to a person's house for dinner and tell a great story where you had a really great day and nothing major happened and you went to bed at a reasonable hour. That's a terrible story. Like nobody's sitting on the edge of their seat waiting to hear that story. A good story involves conflict. My, my mom and I, uh, we like to watch Hallmark, and my sister likes to mock us for watching Hallmark. Um, and Aiden watches it with me because he loves me. Um, but we sort of joke about Hallmark all the time, right? Like, I love their stories, even though they are ridiculous and predictable. There is nothing about those stories that has me on the edge of their seat. My mom can actually call it. She's like, how much, what time is it? We got about 30 minutes left. There's going to be some sort of misunderstanding and conflict will arise. Because even in a Hallmark story, they know that that has to happen for us to care about the rest of the characters' lives. Conflict 
is this piece in a story that makes us care deeply about the ending, right? Without that, um, it's not a good story. There's conflict all over God's story. You read it all throughout scripture, and now when we zoom in on the life and the time and the experiences of Jesus, this is where the tension really starts to build. We've had glimpses of it. He's been really ticking off the religious leaders of the day this whole time. Every time I start a story, I go, well, he's done it again. But this is the turning point when we talk about what, it, what the triumphal entry, when Jesus makes his way from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. This is where the story turns and the tension and the conflict is gonna get cranked all the way up, right? We often read and study this book. Where'd I put it? Right here, right? We have one of these or you have a device and we read this book and often we read it through our own eyes, right? We all have our own experiences with God. We have experiences in relationship that affect the way we think about God. And then we have our experiences with God that affect our relationship with other people. It is so intertwined the way that we read this book, the way that we interact with the story of Jesus. We complicate it with our relationships and our feelings and the way that we want to see things, the way that we hope to see things. Right? The story is complicated enough on its own, but then we try to overlay our story with God's story, right? Or try to figure out where the two stories intersect so that we can see our part of the larger narrative. And it becomes even more complicated, right? For those of us, we like to see God as a loving father, right? For some of you that grew up in homes where you had one of those, that's a really easy thing for you to do. That, yeah, that my dad was great and wonderful, and, and so I like to see that about, about God, about Jesus. He's my father. For those of you that maybe had a terrible relationship with, you, with your father, or it's strained, or it was fill in the blank, it can be really difficult, and you don't like to think about God as father, Jesus as father. Maybe for some of you, it, it's redemptive, though. Like, maybe my earthly father wasn't good, but my, my father in heaven loves me the way I know a dad should, right? It's, it can be redemptive and healing for you. It's, we see this and we interact with scripture and we interact with God the way our experiences in our lives have shaped us, right? Some of us like to think of God as a protector and a warrior, someone to guard us and swoop in when we need him. We find our strength in who he is and that's, that's great. We talk about God as our rescuer. Maybe, maybe you have this experience where you felt as if you were drowning and God came in and he found you and he brought you out, right? People who have been following Jesus uh, up to this point in our, our study of his, his life and his ministry, um, they had a good idea. So some people were following him and some people were keeping tabs on him, I'd say, they weren't maybe showing up to every, everything that he was at or every speaking engagement or every gathering. Maybe they didn't see or witness every miracle, but they, they were in the know because people were starting to wonder, could he be who we think he might be? Could he be this Messiah that was promised and prophesied for forever? Could this be the guy? Because it's starting to sound like maybe this is the guy. Because the Jews had been waiting for this promised King Messiah for a really, really long time. 
And now here comes Jesus in from Jerusalem, from the Mount of Olives, which is, which is if you think about, about it, like the city limits of Jerusalem, right? So he's starting at the top and then he's coming all the way down and into the city of Jerusalem. People are wondering. People are, are getting excited. There's electricity in the air. Let's, let's pick up that scripture. If you have your Bibles or a device or whatever, um, Josh, I don't know if you still have it back there, Eric. If you have a device and need to be on the Wi-Fi, you can be. But it's uh, Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 19. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. Maybe when you were uh, my age, if you have a 1984 edition, uh, it says the triumphal entry. That's something else that we refer to it as. But just, let's just read this story together. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he, appro- as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead of him went and found it just as they had told him. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And he went along. People spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Amen. We kind of have a, there's a really cool tradition. I think sometimes I start it and then nobody knows what to do. I remember when I was a kid and I loved it. When we finished reading scripture, we said, this is the word of the Lord. And then you guys said, can we start doing that? I love that. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So these people are getting excited. These people are, 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 can you mean, can you imagine? Can you be there for just a second Um, where it feels electric. There are ripples going through the crowd as Jesus gets closer, right? He's riding this colt from the Mount of Olives down into Jerusalem, all the way up to the city gates, right? People are excited. In other gospels, uh, you'll hear when Ella read this morning, um, you hear that people had palm branches and they were shouting, Hosanna! Something I didn't know about palm branches, or maybe had known and just had forgotten, Palm branches were actually a Jewish symbol of freedom, right? It was a sign of Jewish nationalism. And then I had to figure out, well, now I need to know more about that. So fun fact for you, because if I know it, I feel like you should too. Uh, There was a Judea captive coin, right? And it was depicting a Jewish captive under a palm tree that was minted by the Romans to commemorate the destruction of, of of Jewish nationalism and of the temple in 70 AD. I thought like that, That's on their coin to to remind people that they crushed the Jews. And so when they're waving these palm branches, it's because they're like, we're coming back. 
Like if this is the Messiah, he is gonna restore us as a people and as a nation and the Romans are going. Some people were even throwing uh, them into the streets along with their cloaks, right? They're almost like a, a, a red carpet kind of feel to it. Like this is to bestow our honor towards you. They were singing and, and they were shouting from the book of Psalms from chapter 118, that's what that's from, the Hallel. Right, Jesus is king. He's saying, this is our king. This is, who, this is who this is. This is who we think it could be. This is the awaited Messiah because he is coming exactly like the prophet Zechariah said he would. It's exactly the way that we've been thinking and dreaming about, the way that we've been studying, the way that our prophets have told us he's coming. Jesus was coming into Jerusalem as a conquering war, war, warrior Hero king, that's a lot to say. He was coming in as this conquering war hero. Hosanna, save us, help us, right? So, so often we sing, we sing Hosanna like we do hallelujah and we pray and it, it works, but really it's save us, save us, help us, help us. Hosanna. Son of David who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? The name of the Lord is actually the, the Hebrew for Shem. And it means glory and reputation of the Lord. So he brings the glory and the weight of God with him. Can you imagine? You are a first century Jew. Can you imagine? You've been waiting for this. You've been hoping for this. You've been praying for this. Your whole life has been, will this happen in my lifetime? Will we see the, the Messiah who we've been waiting for? All right, and Jesus is about to ride straight up into the temple and proclaim himself the king and the Romans will be put back in their place and we, the Jews, we will return to our former glory. This is going to turn in to a coronation. It feels like all the fanfare of a 4th of, a a of July parade, right? When a, when, a, when a war hero comes back and people are excited. You see that footage, especially for, during World War II when, when people were coming back, they were throwing parties, they were saying, welcome. It feels like that. It feels bigger than any one person, right? So it feels like Jesus is sending some people some mixed messages because we, we sort of, we get to, we fast forward, we get to zoom out and we've seen the whole bigger picture. We know that this is not gonna end in this earthly kingdom that Jesus is gonna establish. But they don't get that yet. And it feels when I read this at first, I'm like, are you trying to mess them up? By coming in this way, like what sense does that make? You are stirring everybody up, getting them excited for what will be. They have expectations of you, Jesus. If you're the Messiah, you are not, this is not what you are gonna be to them or for them. All right, and this moment uh, gets the religious leaders ready to kill him. Like they've been thinking and plotting and trying to trap him, but this is it for them. This is their moment where, where they're like, the gloves are off. I'm sure it's gonna get attention of the Romans who don't wanna hear anybody else that's gonna crown themselves king. Do you feel the shift? Do you feel the shift in the story? And it leaves his disciples confused because they don't really get it either. They've been hearing all the things 
that he has to say, and, and they've, been, they prayed, they've been praying with him, they've been sharing meals with him, they've been following him, but they don't, they don't understand either. They're like, yes, you are gonna be king. You are the, we believe that you are the Messiah, and this is what the Messiah means for us. In our time, in our context, that you are gonna be here for us. They're, conf- they're confused. Because they too have expectations. And the minute that this man who's come and who's, who's, who's done these miracles and who has um, raised people from the dead and they've seen all the things, but as soon as that Jesus stops meeting their expectations of what the Messiah is supposed to be, they have no problem turning on him. Right? We have the advantage of the whole story. We read to the last page. Can you imagine, just can you imagine the confusion that this triumphal entry, this Jesus, who is clearly for them the Messiah, this doesn't end the way they hoped it would be. Hosanna, help us. You're the one that can help us. You're the one that can deliver us from our Roman oppressors. We've seen you do so many things. But they forget. I think we sometimes forget in that moment, right? Like Jesus has been helping and healing and saving this whole time. His whole life and ministry have been about those things. But as soon as he doesn't save them in the way they want him to, they have no problem turning on him. And that messes with me a little bit because I have expectations. My expectations and ideas about who I want Jesus to be often lead me in a similar direction. Right? I, I need him to save me in the way that I want him to. I need him to answer my prayers in the way that I want him to. Constantly forgetting that, I, I mean, I know I can, you can quote scripture together, right? I know that his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than mine. I know that, but when it comes to the nitty gritty of my life, I have expectations for Jesus. I have expectations for him. I wanted my friend to be healed of cancer. She wasn't. She died. It was terrible. He didn't meet my expectations. I have broken relationships in my life. I want them to be different. I even get angry when people wrong me and I want them to get what they deserve. When I am at my worst, I will crave vengeance. I'm not the only one, right? (laughs) Right? It can't just be me, right? Like, I have expectations for Jesus. I want things to be the way that I want them. There's still this part of me that knows and believes in a loving God, but at the same time, I want people to get what they deserve. And how do I reconcile that with this Jesus? Because I want my adversaries and enemies to be overthrown. I want my prayers answered the way. Do you you ever feel like that? You ever, I'm gonna, I'm just looking at you and you're just right here and you're great. And we had this conversation um, in worship planning and I remember what you said. um, And if I get it wrong, will you correct me? Um, What if, Jesus answered my prayers the way that I wanted him to, right? In that, in that time. 
Like, how would my life be different if he, did, if he met my, every single one of my expectations? And, and I don't want that to say that there are, there are things that happen in our lives that are, that are sickness and cancer and diagnosis and, uh, and Jesus weeps with us in those things. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to throw a little light and fluffy. Everything has a purpose and it's all going to make sense because I just think that's garbage. I don't think that's true. I think that God can, can make those things good, that we can see uh, the things that he's trying to accomplish sometimes, but we don't always get to see that. And then what do I do with my same expectations? Then who is God to me? Who is Jesus to me in those times where he doesn't, meet my expectations? How does our idea of a conquering hero king handle the difficult people in our lives? The people that have hurt you. The people that, um, that we maybe think either aren't deserving of our, of, of our grace and forgiveness. So if that's true for us, then maybe they're not deserving of God's either. Sometimes I want, I'm different and sometimes I want to say, well, I'm not, I can't do it, but I know that God can, so they're covered. How does that change when we know the rest of the story, right? Our expectations of God often drive us to misunderstanding of God. Our God didn't send Jesus to conquer people, right? But to bring the kind of justice that we, that we sometimes want, that, that piece of us that still craves for that they need to get what they deserve. He's a God that, that's about grace. It's a love story, right? God sent his son out of his great love for his people. Jesus sent it to us so completely because he loves us. His whole life was about showing us how much he loves us. But that's not, I mean, that's not always my, our expectation. We sometimes want more than that. God sent his son out of his great love for his people to empty himself of everything, to be arrested, tortured, beaten, and mocked, to die, to conquer sin and death so that we can live. <sighs> Our expectations get in our way. Sometimes even the way that we talk about God is filtered through our own expectations and hopes and how we believe God to be or act, right? That's not, I don't think that that's always, that's human nature, I guess is a better way to say that. There's, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong about that, but we have to make sure that we step back right? And recognize and maybe call out some of those expectations so that we can go back and see the way that God continually treats people, the way that Jesus continually treated people. I felt like every week for the last seven weeks that I was just like telling you the same story over and over and over again is Jesus loves people. There was no one in this place that he did not love, that he did not extend grace to, that he spent time with the Samaritan woman and made the Samaritan a hero of his story, the worst of the worst. I kept telling the same story. And I'm like, maybe I don't have this 
pastor thing down very well if I'm telling the same story. But then I'm reminded that is the exact same story that Jesus kept living and telling. Every single time is there is no one outside of my love. Jesus is love and grace and forgiveness. By his wounds, we are healed, we are reconciled, we are made whole, and we are set free. That's the God who loves us and pursues us. He pursued us all the way to death. And this story is the beginning of the end for Jesus. This is the, this is the part where his life becomes and focus all on getting to the cross and to dying for us. The story moves from this celebration really, really, really quickly into difficulty, into conflict. So sad over there. It's okay, pumpkin tater. So N.T. Wright says it this way. Are we ready not only to spread our cloaks on the road in front of him, to do the showy and flamboyant thing, but also not follow him into trouble, controversy, trial, and death? Are we able to set, our, uh, set aside our expectations about who we want Jesus to be in order to see what he was all about? What kind of God, what kind of Savior do we think is going to come out of that grave on Sunday? That messes with me. And I want it to mess with you in, in, the, in the best way possible. Because God, because what we know about God, what we've been discovering about God and about Jesus and about his great love for us is true every day. But it's our own ideals, it's our own expectations. It's, the, it's, the own, it's our own way that we've built some of our own walls around bits and pieces and truths of the gospel and we build towers around that one. And then we go over here and find another truth and we build some towers around that one. And we've created our own version through our own expectations about, because they're affected by our relationships and we know that to be true. So how do we as individuals start to move away from that and live into the grace and the mercy and the truth? Because we say it, it is a part of the fabric and foundation of what it means to be reformed but we struggle with it when it comes to the way that we live and the way that we interact and the way that we are to people. So this week, I want you to be able to sit in the conflict for a little bit. Sometimes we get really excited to, in, our, in our church and our churches and in our, in our lives that we don't like to sit in the uncomfortable I'm terrible at uncomfortable long silences. I don't like to sit in conflict for long. I want to get there and I want to move past it. But this is a season that it's, we shouldn't do that. We get too close to Sunday, but Sunday's coming. And that's true, and it is. And we're going to gather next week and we're going to celebrate. But in order for that celebration, in order for us to care about how this all ends, we have to sit in that conflict of what Christ has done for us. The way that he loved and the way that he cared and the way that he gave himself up for us as an atoning sacrifice for our sins so that 
we are made holy and blameless and pure children of God. And that's true for you, and that's true for people all over. People that we don't know, people that we're going to gather into this place, people that Caitlin meets at Love, Inc., and she's going to teach us uh, those same principles. Because that's true for us, here's what it means to treat people with love and respect and with dignity because of who God is in sending his son, Jesus. So I'm going to let the, the band, or in this case, our two friends, um, also known as the band, come up. But I want to leave us in a place um, of conflict. I want to leave us at a place um, when we leave today that feels a little uncomfortable. And I just want to read from the book of Matthew um, of Jesus' death. And that's where I want to leave us. And it's not going to feel great. But any good story has to has to sit in the conflict and has to sit in the edge of their seats because we know the end of the story. But can you imagine not knowing, living it out, waiting, wondering what's going to happen to this Jesus? We thought he was the guy. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed a, placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three, three days? Save yourself. Come down from that cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now off that cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. <laughs>